Yo, this is Pastor Tito, and welcome to another episode of the Revolutionary Podcast. to another episode as we are now going to explore Paul's second missionary journey. Now we did this with his first and we saw a lot of amazing and relevant things that can apply to our lives today. And I ain't gonna lie, it's pretty crazy in the sense that what I was going to talk about this week, talking about difficulties, uh, the coincidence. And I've heard that in Hebrew, I got to check this out. Apparently there's no word for coincidence. Going through the difficulty of losing my grandma this week and preaching on that same Sunday. It hit different. I pray it hits for you. All right, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Morning. So I, I want to say on behalf of uh, my family, I want to thank you guys a lot. I know everybody in here, uh, everybody online. I know I've been getting the text messages, the emails, the posts. And so on behalf of my family, we want to appreciate, obviously, all the love uh, that you guys have been sharing. If you're not unsure, if you're unsure of what I'm talking about, uh, about 48 hours ago, it was uh, Friday. Uh, Friday, my grandma passed away. She went to go be with the Lord on Friday, and I could not think, personally, I couldn't think of any better way uh, to process and to honor her by doing what she did, in the sense that uh, she uh, taught Sunday school at our church for 23 years uh, at the beginning. She was at the ground floor of it. She taught for over 20-something years, uh, kids the Bible, and so I could not think of any better way on a weekend like this to not only process, but to honor her by teaching you guys the Bible and doing exactly what she did. So I hope that's what you guys showed up for because that's what you're going to get. All right. So um, like you saw there, we were looking at uh, the book of Acts and in in this one, and this is, uh, again, not a coincidence, but I think it just works perfect because there was an introduction that I wrote prior to my grandma's passing. You know, we knew she, her health was delicate and we didn't know exactly when it was going to happen. But uh, I wrote an introduction prior to this, and the introduction was, uh, what do you do when life throws you a curveball, and how do you respond to that? And so I've had to walk through that, really, over the next 48 hours, like, all right, I'm going to have to really make sure I'm practicing what I'm preaching before I preach it, uh, because that's what happens, right? And I know we've all gone through that. I know we all have the, the curveballs that, that are thrown at us. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen a real curveball. Anybody played baseball before and seen a real curveball live? A few? All right, listen, I remember the first day I saw my first curveball, all right? I played Little League, uh, you know, T-ball and, and one level up, and then I took elementary and middle school. I took that off. And then I decided, to, you know what, I want to play baseball again, and I started in high school. And uh, I went from literally T-ball to high school, and I missed all that development. And those, those pitches were a little different than what, you know, the little under, you know, those little tosses that were being sent. A little different. And I remember the day, it was, I'll never forget it, we were playing Hillsborough High, all right, Hillsborough High School, and I'm in the batter's box, and this guy gives me the most wicked curveball ever. That was the first time I ever saw a curveball, too. And here's the thing, when I was at, when I was batting, the ball looked like it was going to hit me in the head. It was like right here. And I had never been that close to a ball like that, so me, I panicked. I jumped out of the box. I mean, like straight up jumped out of the box, batting everything, only to see that ball break and land perfect in the center of the strike zone. So at that point, all right, laughter erupts. All right. And so they, the whole bench, they, their bench falls out laughing. The stands are laughing. My dugout was laughing at me. And so it was everybody. It was not my... Um, proudest of moments, um, but whatever. And so, but then I, you know, looking at that, I was like, I'd never seen a curveball do that. And I thought it was going to happen and boom, something else. And I, and I'm sure we've all been like that, right? Where here we are, we're living, things are going great. You know, I know I'm not the only one Oh man, I finally got my money right. Bing, engine light comes on. What? Oh, you know, like that is so depressing as an adult, right? That's just an adulting thing. Um, we've all had those moments. Things are going good, good, good. And then boom, something happens, right? We get that, that news out of nowhere, that medical report out of nowhere. Someone passing away or this or that. Just difficulties, distractions. Sometimes you see them coming. But that's the thing about curveballs. Sometimes you see something coming and then out of nowhere, things change. And so I, I'm sure we are. I'm not the only one who in life 
we've either jumped or responded or whiffed or missed, and things have been a little difficult, and that's why we call them like those curveballs. And so here's the thing. They're the, the two that we're going to talk about today are distractions and difficulties, especially as believers, because this is the ironic thing in the sense that when you become a believer in Christ Jesus, those curveballs come at you differently. They come at you differently than others, right? It's almost like we're inviting more problems, but we, we got to remember what's the source of our distractions? What's the source of our difficulties? It's uh, internal and it's external, right? So we have an enemy out there that obviously when those of us, when we call to Christ and become a Christian, they don't want us to continue to press in. They don't want us to continue to know Christ and walk and be obedient. So there's going to be distraction after distraction, difficulty after difficulty that we invite that could cause us. Anybody feel me on that? Are you true? Any, am, I, am I lying? If you're a believer in Christ Jesus, am I lying? No, it's almost like you, you walk into another conflict. But then there's an internal one, right? There's the flesh. There's that part of us that is still selfish, that, want, that refuses to bow down to submit to the Lord. So that's a lot going on. So what do we do and how can we handle life's curveballs? And so guys, the, the one thing that we're going to flesh out today is this, that you can handle any curveball as long as you have Christ. It's different. You can handle some curveballs if you have Christ. And so we're going to look at how Paul and Silas and this missionary team had to deal with distractions and difficulties. And they were encouraged the church in a way that can encourage us. And so I want to check this out. So let's, let's run it. Now, guys, this is a long story, so we're going to break it up today. All right, so we're going to do, uh, there's three scenes that we're going to look at. And so we'll walk through all three of these scenes. So let's look at the first scene. We're going to read uh, Acts 16. Verses 16 through 24, all right? And this is titled, Paul and Silas are put in prison. So here we got the missionary team of Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. And on verse 16, it says, once we, those four, once we were on our way to prayer. Uh, that's an interesting, again, that's what I'm talking about. Once we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. This was a demonically possessed individual. She made a large profit for her owners for fortune telling. She, uh, uh, as she followed Paul and us, she cried aloud. Look what she says. These men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation, they are servants of the most high God. That's an interesting thing for a demon to say. She did this for how many days? Many, right? So it's a little bit. So this is on loop. And so Paul was greatly what? annoyed. All right, yo, so this is, an, if you've ever, Paul had that moment, if you've ever been annoyed, yo, let's see how he handles being annoyed. He was greatly annoyed. He was, I mean, he was on edge. He had enough. Turning to the spirit, he says, I command you in the name of Jesus to what? Come out of her. And it came out right away. When her owners realized that her, that the, their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities, bringing them before the chief magistrate. They said these things. These men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us to, as Romans to adopt and to practice. So the crowd joined in on the attack against them and the chief magistrate stripped off their clothing. So now they are butt naked and ordered them to be beaten with rods in public. After they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them in the innermost prison and secured their feet in the stocks. So, guys, could, could we call that a curveball? Yes or no? All right. Can we call that a difficulty? Yes or no? And I love at the beginning, what did Luke say? On our way to prayer on our way to spend time with God, right? Isn't that, doesn't that seem to happen like that? Oh, how, many how many times you ever wake up and say, you're on your way to go open your Bible, there's a notification and now you're in TikTok for like 45 minutes, right? Right, on your way to church, you get that flat tire, right? On your way to whatever, serve the Lord, do this, right? On your way to give offering, something happens, and you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm running, I don't know. So there's, I think that's super interesting. That here they are, they're trying to do something, trying to walk with the Lord, and boom, sequence after sequence, distractions and difficulties, all were going down. So I kind of want to walk you through a couple of these characters really quick. How many we got? So first off, we got the four. We got the team. Who else we got? We got this demonically possessed slave girl who we saw was delivered. 
So she has now, it is assumed that she becomes a believer in Jesus Christ because she had been delivered. So that's one. We got her owner. He's obviously upset that his money situation is uh, no longer there. So he lies to who? The chief magistrates. And so he, these guys are the, the, the head of the town, right? The mayor and all those guys. They get the crowd. They're all hyped up in this as well. And, and then we have the jailer, right? And so he's going to be an interesting guy that we're going to come to later in those magistrates too. And so guys, it goes from a false accusation to abuse, right? Did you see that? How quickly that went? And so here's the thing. It was a public flogging. Now this is, uh, for some of you, just to com- not to confuse the two, if you've ever seen Uh, movies of Jesus whipped. Anybody ever seen one of those before? Right? This is not that. All right? When Jesus was whipped before the cross, he got, uh, it was this kind of whip, the cat of nine tails that had literally bone, metal, and, and different pieces inside that was not only meant to cut, but it was meant to dig and rip. Okay? So when Jesus was on the cross, his ribs were exposed from his back. I mean, he had no meat anymore back there. Now, this is not that. So Paul's flogging, was with sticks, all right? Anybody ever gotten, um, got, got one of those little, you know, beat with a switch from your mom or anybody like that, right? I know we have a few. Uh, you want to online, you want to type, all right? Like, let's, let's, let's process that trauma together, you know? I know that we have a few, right? Race, race car tracks, you know, little phone cords and a little different situations, right? So here's the thing, guys. When you were flogged in Roman culture, this was a stiff stick, and you were beaten 39 times by strong, athletic, sometimes Roman soldiers. So when they went at you, they went. Guys, you know that sometimes people would die from the blunt force trauma of being flogged just once. That's how hard they would hit you. It would kill you. Do you know how many times Paul got flogged? Three times, and my boy survived. Bro, his kidneys must have been steel. Jeez, because three times, this was the first time Paul was flogged, beaten almost to the point of death by sticks. And so then it got worse, right? After the flogging, where were they put? Y'all catch that? In prison, but not just anywhere. They were put in the innermost part of the prisons, guys. These Roman prisons, especially the inner part, they, were, they, they had the commonalities. Number one, it was pitch black darkness. They wanted you in there and you saw nothing. Number two, it was full of feces and a bunch of disgusting stuff and probably rats. And then they put them in a stock. All right. Now, could you guys imagine what stocks look like? Right. You guys know what those those are? Those little planks they put on your feet and they kind of lock you up. Okay. This was a little different because the Roman stocks, these guys were twisted. So first off, what they would do is they would put you and split your legs and put you in a split as far as your legs could go. And then, bang, secure you in a stock like that. So you ain't trying to run like this, you know? Like, you ain't trying to run like that. That's just weird. You're in a, and, but here's the thing, though. That was, they put it so that way you had constant cramping in your thighs and your hips. They wanted to mess with you. So again, imagine Paul and Silas pummeled, and now they're put in that position, and this is how they were put in jail. And so it was a lot going on, right? And so we saw the, um, we saw how, uh, why was Paul annoyed? And this is an interesting thing as well. See, he did not want the negative associations. Because when you hear what that, that slave girl did say, didn't that sound great? It's, she's saying, hey guys, listen to them because they know the way of salvation. They are servants of the most high God. That's a weird thing for a demon to declare. But here's the thing. This is why Paul was annoyed. And he was like, look, I'm done with this because he did not want anyone to associate this demonically possessed individual with the gospel message. And so this demon was trying to be slick to try to come alongside and say, hey, yeah, we're one and the same. And so Paul had an end with it. He did not want the negative association of this demonic, this demonic work with the work of God. So that's what happens. But then here I want you to see, obviously, this is a very difficult scenario, right? Accusations, abuse. How would you respond if this happened to you? How would you respond if in this circumstance? And this is, I I came across a quote from John Bunyan, which I think is super cool, is we're going to read the second scene now. And John Bunyan says this. I'm going to read it to you. We don't got it on the screen. It says this. God's people are like bells. The harder they are hit, the better they sound. Isn't that interesting? God's people are like bells. The harder that they're hit, the better that they sound. There's just something inside of us. It's the love of God that just kind of rings a little different. So let's see. Paul and Silas were beaten hard, 
So let's see what kind of sound they made. Let's look at the next scene, which is now in 25 and 34. Let's look at the second scene together. The uh, Wrong one. Let me turn the page. All right. Uh, second scene. At midnight, Paul and Silas, what were they doing, guys? Two things. Can you read it? Praying and singing. They were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners, oh, I love this detail. They were listening. The prisoners who were with Paul and Silas were listening. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken. And immediately at the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. And when the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, No, don't harm yourself. Because we're all here still. We're all here. The jailer called for lights and he rushed in to the darkness and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he escorted them out of the jail and said, Sirs, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and with everybody in the house. He took them the same hour of the night washed their wounds, and right away he and his family were baptized. He brought them into the house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. So that's a, kind of, that's a nice bell, the way that they were hit. And how, what kind of sound did they make? Oh, they made a good one. But I, I, I got to walk you through these two guys. Listen, we, let's look at Paul and Silas's reaction, and then we're going to double back at that Roman. And so Paul and Silas, what did they do? At midnight, they had a melody in their hearts, right? And midnight was interesting. Why midnight? Because again, guys, you couldn't sleep. Anybody ever been so uncomfortable that you just can't go to bed? Yes or no? Right? So tell me, are you, how well are you going to sleep after being beaten to, almost to the point of who knows what? And then your feet are in stocks and you got cramps in your legs. You ain't going to bed. And so what did they do? Did they sit there and complain? Did they sit there and give a little sob story? Did they sit there and say, God, um, what's up, bro? I'm like, we're out here doing this and doing that. We're trying to help people. And you put us in this position? How come? This doesn't seem fair. But hey, God had a purpose. God, there was somebody in that jail. It was a jailer that needed it. And so, guys, I, I love this moment, especially the time. What time was it again that this happened? What time? Midnight. Guys, uh, midnight obviously is a turning point. Right. Midnight is the moment in, at the night in which what the earth and the sun are now heading in the same direction. Right. The sun is on its way. The morning it has now went from night to morning. And very soon the sun will rise up within a few hours at midnight. But uh, do you see the sun at midnight? Can you see it? Depending on where you are in the country, I guess if you're up way up top, maybe it's a little different. I know we got Alaska friends that are up there, so I don't know. It can hit a little different. But here normally. Right. You ain't seen the sun. But is the sun on its way? Yes. How do you know the sun is on its way? Because that's what it does, right? That's what it does. The world and the sun have been faithfully working in this way for who knows how long. And so what I love about midnight is as dark as their circumstances are, as difficult as their circumstances are, and they probably assumed, you know what? This is it for us, Silas. This is how we're going to go out. So how are we going to go out? If this is our last night on earth and tomorrow we wake up and they're going to kill us for the gospel like they did the Apostle James, how are we going to spend our last night? They sang and not complaining to God, but praising God. They, they, didn't, they didn't complain. They looked to God and were grateful. Notice that they sang songs to him. You could see it in their heart. How this, they saw it as a joy to be able to suffer for the Lord. But it's not only that. I don't think they just had a song, a melody in their heart at midnight because God, thank you for the honor of getting suffer, to suffer for you. No, it's because they knew if we die in the morning, we're going to be with Christ the, the next second. They knew that. They knew that death did not have the last laugh. Why? Because Jesus conquered sin and death on the cross and through the grave. And so death does not have the last word. Christ does. God does. And so that would, you know, help you with your perspective. Look at how they took that curveball. They hit this one out of the park. Now, let me tell you what they didn't do, what they were singing for, and I want to help y'all. Listen, they were not singing so God can set them free. They weren't singing so that God could deliver them. 
All right. Sometimes I hear these sermons sometimes like that. And they'll say, listen, as long as you got, you know, you praise through and you get your breakthrough, praise and get your breakthrough. True. But listen, sometimes it doesn't happen that way. It isn't that you can manipulate God in this way. Like, God, I'm just going to praise so I can have a breakthrough, meaning give me what I want. Bail me out of this. Guys, it doesn't always work like that. We've had three jailing incidents that we've studied so far this year. We've had Peter, James, Paul. James died. Paul was delivered, Paul, and so was um, Peter was delivered, so was Paul, but not all the time this always happened. And so I just wanted to help you understand that their motivation to praise was not to get something out of God. Their motivation to worship was not so that God can do something for them. Their motivation to worship was because of what God already did for them, which was die on the cross and pay the penalty of their sin and forgave them and gave them eternal hope. That's why they sang. They sang because of what God has done. Not what he did. So I'm going to challenge you guys. I want you to write this down. Remember this, tweet this, tag this, write it in your notes, uh, because I want you to wrestle with this question. Because this is a good little encouragement for us we see here. Listen, do not let your complaints outpace your praise. I must say that one again. Do not let your complaints outpace your praise. Did I say you can't complain? I didn't say that. I just said just don't let your complaints outpace what? Your praise. Don't let your complaints outpace your, outpace your praise. Guys, because listen, you, you probably have a lot going on in your life that's difficult. I know. I feel you. You got a lot. But no matter how much wrong you have in your life, you have a lot that's right if you have Christ. You see what I'm saying? So do not let your complaints outpace your praise. Because when you do, uh, you never know who's listening. Guys, who are, who are listening to Paul and Silas singing these songs and praying to God out loud? prisoners were listening. Did they know they were listening? Nope. They just did it because it was in their heart. So guys, do not let your complaints outpace your, outpace your praise because you don't know if your spouse is listening. They probably are. You don't know if your kids are listening. They probably are. You don't know if your neighbor is listening. You don't know who's listening. And who knows? You know, this jailer obviously fell asleep, but the last thing he heard before he fell asleep was Paul and Silas singing to the Lord and praying. That's interesting. That's the last thing he heard when he fell asleep. So let's look at the jailer. Make the shift. What happened to this guy, obviously, guys? When he saw, uh-oh, everybody went out. What was his initial reaction? What did he want to do? What did he want to do? The jailer pulled out his sword, and what was he going to do? Kill himself, right? Now, if we remembered, I'll help you all out. Some of you guys that haven't, were here with us, where Peter, when he was delivered out of jail, and uh, this one, the angel kind of snuck him out, an interesting kind of scenario. And what did King Herod do? He had all the guards executed because this was a thing. If you're a guard, a Roman guard, and if you lose a prisoner, then you lose your life. And so do you see why this Roman guard, oh my gosh, everybody's gone. Paul and Silas, everybody must, they must have took off in the earthquake. So you know what? I would rather die through, through suicide. I would rather die through suicide then to be executed by, it was more honorable. That's what they considered. Now, here's how they would die, guys. They would take the Roman sword, which tended to be not, you know, it wasn't super big. They took their sword and they would place it right here. And then they would fall on their sword. This is what they would do. They would fall on their sword. So they would let momentum and gravity do the rest. And this Roman sword would impale them. And that's how they would die. But notice right before he fell on the sword, instead, well, let me say it this way. Instead of falling on the sword, Luke says he fell at the apostles' feet. So it's an interesting falling there. And I love even the detail. He takes the lights because he calls for lights and runs into the darkness. And there he finds a source of salvation. And guys, that's what Jesus has done. Jesus is the light of the world that came into the darkness and went into the pit to find us. So that's, what, that's, that's the irony there. But here he is, instead of falling on the sword, he falls at their feet and says, Sirs, sirs, which is another way of saying Lord. Lord's. How must I, how must, what must I do to be saved? So there was something in Paul, in Silas's life that he recognized something divine that was in them. And I love Paul's answer. When he pretty much says, Lord, what must I do to be saved? He says, believe in the Lord Jesus. He went, he deflected that. He likes saying, no, man, not me, him. And so I love, he says, believe in the Lord Jesus, not me. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So you know what this Roman soldier did? He fell on a sword. Not the Roman one. Instead of falling on the Roman sword, which would have brought him death, he fell on the sword of the Spirit, which was the gospel and the truth, and it brought him life. 
That's exactly what he did. He fell on the sword of the Spirit, and it brought him life. And guys, how beautiful now the, the, the situations, and, and look at the reactions. He brings them to his house, and he washes their wounds, and then Paul and Silas baptize them in water. Look at how the, the, the interesting, the back and the forth. And then not only do we see this compassion in this jailer's heart, because the same jailer who made their circumstance even more difficult is now helping. He's now serving and has, he has such a joy in his heart because he and his family are truly saved. And again, we see hospitality, which is another sign of, um, of his salvation. But then there was also his courage. Guys, here's a Roman soldier that took two high-profile criminals out of jail and put them in his house. That's, that's a crime that he could now be fired for, maybe even executed for. And so now here's the Roman soldier who is now sacrificing his pride, his career, his life. Why? To be able to just to love somebody. He doesn't care anymore because he has found true life in Jesus. He found true life in Jesus. And so we see courage and compassion and true joy inside of his life. Now, hold on, but the story is not over there. Because there is one more thing that happened that gave the church in the city a great encouragement. And so let's keep on reading. Scene number three. Ready? Let's run it. We're going to look at verse 35 through 40. So when daylight came, when daylight came, the chief magistrates sent the police to say, Release those two men, Paul and Silas. Let them go. They, we're done. But let them go. The jailer then reported these words to Paul and said, Hey, the magistrates have sent word for you to be released. So come out now and you can go in peace. You're free. But Paul. Oh, that's an interesting but Paul. How would you respond to being released from prison like that, right? But Paul said, um, time out there. Bro. They beat us in public without a trial. Although we are Roman citizens and they threw us in jail and, uh, and now they're going to send us away secretly? Oh, certainly not. Oh, no, 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 no. And it's not going to go down like that, bro. Not going to go down like that. On the contrary, let them come out themselves and escort us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were what? They were what? Afraid. I'll tell you why in a minute. They were afraid when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came and appeased them and escorted them from prison. And they urged them, leave town, please, just leave. After leaving the jail, they came to Lydia's house, which we talked about her last week. They went to Lydia's house where they saw and encouraged the brothers and the sisters. This is the church that has been established in Lydia's house. And they departed. Now, when I looked at that, first off, there was a couple other questions that I had, but what about the sequence of events that happened that encouraged the church? How were they encouraged? And so we're going to answer that one because I believe there's a great encouragement for us. And so obviously, guys, that's an <coughs> interesting way for Paul to respond to that, right? Like it almost sounds like Paul is being petty and kind of being, uh, oh, it's payback time, payback time. Because, and we don't know why his, uh, his, he didn't throw out, hey, I'm a Roman citizen, I'm a Roman citizen. We don't know why he didn't say that. Luke doesn't give us that detail. So maybe Paul and Silas weren't given the chance to be able to say that. Or they were, maybe they did and they weren't listening. Or for whatever reason, Paul just felt, I can't say this right now. I don't know. We don't know. All he knows is that he whips out this draw four card out of nowhere. All right. That's what he does. He whips out this draw four card and he says, all right, hold on. We're Roman citizens. And here's the thing about Roman citizenship, guys. Number one, it was very rare. It was rare. Now, Rome had a massive empire. Some of us have seen the stories. We've looked at the pictures. But to be a citizen of Rome was very rare. It was expensive to get or extremely difficult to get. And so for Paul and Silas to have it, you know, that, that's a big deal. And they were Jews. And so not everybody, not everybody was a Roman citizen, but the, and it had a lot of rights. And one of those rights were a right to fair trial. And they weren't given that, right? It said that they were thrown in without jail and they were publicly shamed. Guys, listen, publicly shamed. They were, you know, they were stripped naked and beat with sticks. That's a weird time to walk in. I'm sorry. But anyways, um, and so that's what happened. And so here he's saying, um, hold on. No, this ain't going to happen this way. You need to escort us out. And this is why those guys were so scared, because you know what would happen to you if you violated a Roman citizen's rights to fair trial? All right. 
whatever punishment you, they got, you were going to get. And, and sometimes even worse, possibly death. They took those very, ser- very, very seriously. So this is a cool, you know, guys, a little side note. It's very important to know the laws of the land. You never know. It may save your life one day. Mike came in handy. All right. So very interesting. Know your rights, please. No, 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 these things. So here it is. And so here they are in this moment. Now, I would ask guys, why? Why does Paul ask for the escort? Because what in essence he's telling them to do is, listen, you brought shame upon us. And for the escorts to come and escort them, now they are going to be the ones that have to bring on shame on themselves because it's them publicly saying to all their subjects, yeah, guys, we messed up. Uh, That's our bad. And now it's going to be public knowledge, public knowledge. The whole town is going to know that the magistrates, that they did not follow. And so these guys, this is probably like a death march for them. We don't know. And so they were petrified. But why would Paul do that? That almost sounds mean. Why, why would Paul do that? Is he trying to get even? No. Is he being petty? No. Here's the beautiful and the genius about what he was doing. Because remember what I said, guys, about why Paul had to cast out that girl, the, the demon out of that girl? Because he didn't want the negative associations of here's a demonically possessed individual, and he doesn't want that to associate with the church, which just started. It's brand new, right? And now here's the thing. With them being publicly flogged, Everybody in town knows, oh, yeah, those two guys are here talking about Jesus. Yeah, they're nuts. They're crazy. And so now there is a stigma on the church, the young church. There is a stigma, which now is made up of a successful single businesswoman, Lydia, a formerly demonically possessed slave girl, and a Roman jailer. What a cocktail of individuals. And that's an interesting little church going on right now. And that's the church. And so Paul, in essence, when he says, no, we need, a, we need an escort out. It was not to bring shame and difficulty on, their, on the lives of the magistrates. It was now to publicly disassociate the shame that they experienced on the church. So now that young church would not have the stigma, would not have this negative view of people. So now the town and everybody would say, oh, okay, so these Christians are, I guess they're legit. They're okay. They're not what we thought. And so Paul did that to protect the integrity of the gospel, the integrity of the church. And then he goes and he gives us one story and he tells them all that happened and he encouraged them. Guys, how could this encourage you? You know, like, hey guys, before we go, just so you know, all right, they're probably going to lie about you. They might beat you. And uh, who knows? I don't know if, the, you know, I don't know if there's always going to be an earthquake to let you out of jail, but uh, good luck with that. All right. See you later. All right. What is encouraging about this whole story? What is encouraging about this? Now, we don't know exactly what Paul said, but this story, this whole sequence, all three scenes do have an encouragement for us. And there's this one right here. And this is what I'm going to share with you guys. This encourages me and I want to encourage you guys to listen the church as believers. We're always going to have accusers and abusers. That's history. We will always have accusers and abusers, but we can never forget that we are acquitted of our sinful charges. We will always have accusers and abusers, but we will uh, we need to remember that we are acquitted of our charges. You guys know what acquitted means? All right? It means that you're good. All right? If if you're, uh, you know, a 90s if you remember the 90s, there was the famous uh, OJ Simpson trial, right? And so he puts on the glove, if the glove don't fit, you must acquit, right? And so that was the line, right? That was the thing, meaning you got to drop all charges. That's what it is. And guys, I want you to know that when you put you your faith in Christ your sins are acquitted because that stigma of sin, it don't stick no more. It don't fit because you are in Christ now. He paid for all that penalty for you. And God cannot declare you innocent until you acknowledge that you are guilty of sin. Once you acknowledge that you are guilty of sin and plead for God the Father, the judge, for mercy, Christ extends his hand. And now your sins are acquitted. And so we'll always have accusers, we'll always have abusers, but you cannot forget that, you're, that you are acquitted of your sins because that is the hope that helps you. That is the thing that helps us to deal with the curveballs, to deal with the distractions, to deal with the difficulties, to know that in the end, God, we are acquitted of our charges and we cannot be ch- uh, charged again. Do you guys know this is called double jeopardy? This is some legal stuff. When you have been declared by a judge, when you have been declared um, innocent, no one can then bring up another, the same charge against you ever again. 
You know that? That they actually put that in our system. So that way, oh, he was guilt, he was innocent this time. Let's get a differing judge and let's you know manipulate the evidence. Let's charge him again with the same thing, and now we'll get him a second time. That's human history. That always happened in human history. But here in America, they put that double jeopardy charge. And that was that. So if you've been declared innocent, you can never be charged for the same thing. And so, guys, listen, I know some of y'all, the enemy gets in your head and they start telling you about what you used to do and who you are and this and that. And we have an enemy that is an accused. He accuses us before the father every single day. But again, in, in Christ Jesus, when you've asked for forgiveness, your sins have been disposed. Your charges have been dropped. You have been acquitted. And God and the devil cannot bring up those charges ever again. It's not going to stick. It don't stick. And so here's the thing. What do you do if you know you are acquitted? Guys, listen, people who are acquitted don't quit loving God and loving others. You can't. If you have been acquitted by the love of God, then we don't quit loving God and loving others, right? If you've been acquitted by the love of God, you don't quit loving God, loving others. That's what Paul and Silas did. He says, guys, look, you saw the story. Look how they lied. Look how they beat us. Look at what they did. But we trusted in the Lord. And even if that earthquake would have never come, even, I mean, that was amazing how God delivered us. And now the jailer, look at him, he's right here. He's now a believer in Christ Jesus, him and his entire household. And so guys, don't quit. If you know they were put in there, right, unlawfully. But if you know that if your hope and your life is in Christ, it doesn't matter what comes against you, you know it's going to be okay. And that was an encouragement to them. And not only that, it's like, listen, if that earthquake would have never come, and if that next day we would have died, then so be it. But we know that we would have been, we would have been vindicated because of what Christ did for us. And so my challenge for you guys is to remember that. Listen, I know, I, I said that a minute ago, right? Don't let your complaints outpace your what? Your praise. Don't let your complaints outpace your praise. Why? Because you've been, you have a reason to sing. You have a reason to have a melody in your heart. You have a reason to smile, a reason to hope, despite your circumstances, because Christ has split your heart and entered in, entered in and given you life. That's a reason to rejoice. And so I got quick two little verses that we don't got them on the screen. I'm going to read them to you. Look at this. It's like those who are acquitted by the love of God, they don't quit loving God. The first one, Paul tells the church in Thessalonica, which is nearby where he is here. First Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18, he tells them, rejoice always, pray constantly and give thanks in everything for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Again, there's that attitude there. Guys, we talked about last week walking in the will of God. Well, you know how you're not going to walk in the will of God? If your complaints outpace your praise. And so, but when you understand and when you're able to rejoice, not for things, and notice he says, don't be thankful for your circumstances. He says, find a way to be thankful in them, in them, Despite the difficulties, despite what is happening, despite things that are out of control, when you find you have a reason to be thankful for not your circumstances, you have a reason to be thankful in them because of what Jesus has done. Knowing that in the end, it's on him. So look, we, right here he's saying those who've been acquitted by the love of God, they don't quit loving God. And the other one was what? You don't quit loving others. Galatians 5, I'm sorry, Galatians 6, 9 and 10. He says this, let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunities, let us work for the good of all, especially for those within the church. And so you see that right there, guys? If you've been acquitted by the love of God, you don't quit loving God and you don't quit loving others because you know and trust that he is going to work things out. Things may be difficult right now. It's a little weird because here we're still in prison to a certain extent, guys. What Paul and Silas, where they were at midnight, that's where we are right now, guys. We are in this, in, in the human history and in the salvation history, it's midnight. We're in a dark world. We're in, uh, you know, we're in a dark world and we're imprisoned to our flesh, this decaying body, and this flesh inside of us that still is selfish, that does not want to submit to God. We are, com we are contained in that way. That's the stock that we're in. That is the circumstance that we're in right now. It's midnight in the world. That is how we are waiting for the sun to return, waiting for Jesus to come back. So what should we do while, Jesus, while we're waiting for Jesus? Not quit loving him, loving others. You never know who's listening. Guys, this is the hope that we have for what we are, what I'm going to call right now the holding pattern. 
I'm going to give you this last little uh, image, and I want y'all to take away, I'll take this. Uh, so I want to really quick shout out uh, law enforcement officer, my buddy Mike Farrier, for helping me with some of these details. Hopefully I got them right, buddy, so you let me know. So uh, there is something called a holding pattern. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but this, I, you know, I'm, I'm weird, and so I let my, my brain go down this route, and he helped me out. But um, if you've ever seen trials when somebody was in prison for something, right, they're in jail awaiting a trial. And once they've been declared innocent, has anyone ever asked what happens to them next? You ever thought about that? When somebody is declared innocent on trial, what happens to them next? Do you know where they go? Not home. Do you know where they go? Back to jail. Isn't that weird? Jail, prison, I know there's a difference, man. Just, all right, just, all right. So, right, there's a difference. But that sounds weird, doesn't it? If you're innocent, you should be free to go. Why do you have to go back to jail? This is what's called the holding pattern. The holding pattern is the time between you've been declared innocent to the time that you were released. And that time, it could be days, a week, I don't know. And it sounds unfair. Why would an innocent person have to go back to jail? Well, because their docket has to be processed. And this is the thing that I, that I was learning. So what happens is now you may be legally in front of a judge, been declared innocent, but the system has to recognize that you are innocent. So there's paperwork. There's something that has to happen on the back end that has to align itself and confirm with what the judge declared. And in fact, I just read this. I thought it was pretty cool. Your prison code has to change. And it has to, in the system, that means you have to wait in jail, knowing you're innocent. You know that your release date is about to be soon, but you don't know what. And in the meantime, obviously what you don't want to do is screw it up. I mean, could you, I asked him, I was like, has anybody ever in the holding pattern been declared innocent, waiting for their time, and ever like, you know what, this isn't a good time to commit a crime right now, you know, or do something stupid. He says, I've never heard of that happen, I'm sure, but that's, that's an interesting thing. And so what happens here, guys, is that while you're waiting, you have to wait for somebody, check this out, to change your prison code from in to out. And once the system is updated and your docket is processed, they now give you your date and you're able to leave free. You know, and then you're, you're, you're good. You're free now. And I bring that up because, guys, that is exactly what is happening as believers. And this is exactly what happened to Paul and Silas, and I believe exactly for us. Because, see, when you place your trust and faith in Jesus, you are declared innocent, like I said a minute ago. But, uh, you know, that, that the release date is um, undetermined. That release date is either going to be from the, either the day you die or the day Jesus returns. And so in the moment, we're still waiting in this dark world, chained to our flesh in the stocks of this decaying body. So we're still waiting. Why? Now, our code has been updated because once you believe in Jesus, the blood of Jesus forgives you of your sins, and the Holy Spirit changes your spiritual code from out of the kingdom of God to in. That's what the Holy Spirit does, and it, nothing can change it any longer. But what must you do? You still have to wait. And how should we wait? Again, loving God, loving others in the process, in the moment. Because in the same way, guys, that you saw an earthquake came out, and it shook the foundations of the jail, according to what Luke said. The earthquake shook the foundations of the jail. All of the doors flung open, all right? The chains fell off, and they were escorted, had a royal escort out of prison the next day. Well, Scripture says that when Jesus returns, when it's all said and right, there will be a great earthquake, and that the whole foundations of the world will be shaken. And the prison doors of this world will open wide and the chains of this flesh and body will fall and we'll be forever free and we will receive a royal escort by our heavenly father and we will be you know, processed in front of our enemy to their shame and to God's glory. This is what awaits us as believers in Christ. This is what awaits us. Though we've been declared innocent in all things, there is a future hope that we have, but we also have a present help in time of need that God gives us to strengthen us and encourage us in the midst of this time as we're dealing with the distractions and difficulties of this world and the distractions and difficulties of this body and of this until that day comes. And listen, that, that jailer, when he received Jesus, what did he have? Joy. Why? And we all know, guys, for those of us, tell me I'm lying. For those of us that if you have received Jesus Christ, tell me that instantly there wasn't joy. 
to know that there was a weight of sin that was on you. There was a sense of helplessness and hopelessness. And once that was gone, you felt free and you felt alive for the first time. Tell me, am I lying? Yes or no? That is what happens to every believer in Christ Jesus. When your sins have been forgiven, you don't even know it's there until it's gone. And once it's gone, you realize, oh my gosh, there's a sense of freedom there that Christ gives you. In fact, let me just give you a little 15 second picture of what freedom looks like. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus and the, the chain of sin and death is released, this is what happens. Can we put the little video over? All right, you can bring it back, bring it back. All right, so guys, you know what? Tell me, if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, isn't that what it feels like to know that you are free? Well, guys, let me tell you, that freedom that we found, listen, that freedom that we find in Christ, that joy, oh, that, that will not compare to the day when the chain of this flesh has been taken off, when the chain of this world has been released, and we get to experience and walk into an eternity with God, Oh, that's going to be us running all kinds of crazy, all the muck in God's presence because we don't know what it's like to not have this flesh. All we know is this world. But once it's been taken away, oh my gosh, the joy that awaits us. If this present joy was amazing, could you imagine what that's going to look like? Could you imagine what that's going to look like? And it only happens two ways. Either when we die or Christ returns. And you guys ever heard in, the, in weddings, where it says, uh, I've, I've had to officiate plenty. Some of us have been in some, right? And they say, you know, I'll be with you through poverty and riches, through good and bad, sickness and in health, and, you know, getting rid of all others until what? Death? Separate us, right? Until death do us part. Well, here's the thing in Christ Jesus. That's the same commitment we make. Because God, I will follow you in sickness and in health in poverty and in prosperity, during the good times and in the bad. And, and not even, not until death separates us, because death does not separate us from Christ. It just brings us even closer, like never before. It brings us closer to him like never before. And until that moment happens, Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours. And that freedom that we will get to experience one day, it's ten, we get a taste of it now. My grandma, which I, I mentioned to you, she passed away two days ago, Friday morning, early Friday morning. She had that temporary joy when she gave her life to Jesus uh, at a tiny church in the 70s here in Tampa, Florida. And ooh, to, see, to see that little old lady running right now, knowing that, the, that this flesh, the flesh that had weighed her down so much has been disconnected from her. And now she is in the presence of God forever. Let me tell you, my, my mom, my grandma experienced freedom of her sins. And right now, the freedom of her flesh, it must hit so different because one of the things that my, my grandma struggled a lot with, uh, you know, some physical ailments, especially as an older individual, right? She was 89. Um, but for years, from the majority of her adult life, she struggled with fear, anxiety, um, nerves, issues that kept her from a lot of things. She couldn't work for the longest time because of the, the, the panic attacks and the anxiety that she had. And so she was kind of like a, somewhat of a prisoner in her own body. And yet, despite those things, despite that she couldn't work professionally, she, it says a lot that she gave and was able to teach Sunday school for 20-something years. Because she medically, mentally, physically could not hold a job, but yet she plowed through it by God's grace and still was able to share the gospel with generations of kids, planting seeds, and you guys are snacking on some fruit from a seed that she planted today. And to know that right now, that little dog, oh, that's her. To see her now free from that fear that held a grip on her. Free from the anxiety, free from all of those nerves, and never to experience that weight again. What a joy that must be. I can't wait to see that. And I know we'll get to experience that because it's all of us in Christ. And so, guys, I want you to know that there is a future hope for all of us, that this is something that we all have if you have Christ. But in the midst, right now, it's midnight for me. It's not for her anymore. The sun showed up. She's in, that, she's in the light. We're still in, the, we're still in that midnight moment. And so what do we do? We don't quit. Because if we have been acquitted by the love of God, we don't quit loving him. We don't quit loving others. Because that is that. It's his love that helps us through these moments. And so, guys, I, wanna, I want you to encourage you today 
that, listen, Paul and Silas, they were beaten and bruised, and man, it was rough for them. But God gave them strength to endure the night. And I'm here to tell you, some of you, you've probably been beaten and bruised physically, emotionally, mentally. And I want you to know that Christ is here to give you hope and help during the night and to help you and to give you a reason to be thankful in everything, despite everything. Because as believers, the external does not dictate our internal position towards Christ. No, it's our internal that does. And so I just want to help. I just want you to know if there is whether uh, trauma, difficulty, maybe something like this, mental health issues, physical ailments that really weigh you down. I don't want you to feel like you are a broken individual. I don't want you to feel like you're any less than. God's grace is enough to help you, to heal you, or like my grandma, to carry you through all the way in the end. Because you know what? Sometimes our healing happens here. Sometimes it doesn't. Her healing happened emotionally and spiritually. And her complete healing has happened already. And we all have that hope. And so guys, I want to I just challenge you in the same way. That you do not let your complaints outpace your praise. You can handle life's curveballs if you have Christ. You can handle life curveballs if you have Christ. So if that means that you're, you know, poor and poverty is what, the, what puts in front of you, if you have Christ, you're fine. Maybe it's, it's other things, whether if it's poverty, maybe it's just problems. But if you have Christ, then you have enough for your problems. And even if it's sickness too, and if it's, that is your lot, but if you have Christ, you have more than enough. So listen, I just want to say, if all you have is Christ, you have all that you need. If all you have is Christ, you have all that you need. And that is enough for you to be able to sing your melody in this midnight moment until the sun returns. Oh, no matter how messy life gets, and we all know that it does. Listen, in Christ Jesus, we have a Messiah that produces a melody in our hearts. No matter how dark the midnight of life is. Because we know, yeah, it's dark outside. But I know the sun is on his way. Christ is returning. He has not abandoned me will not forsake me and that he is enough so I pray in the same way that that truth had to have encouraged the church back in the day and it encouraged me and our church this week I pray it encourages you to know that listen you can have a lot going on in life and we all do but if you have Christ you have all that you need trust in him believe in him and keep pursuing him he will show you.